0: The following audio is from Covenant Life Fellowship. For more information about our church and to stay up to date on all sermons, events, and news, please visit our website at www.clfroseburg.com. It's a great lead-in because when you think about all of this cultural narrative that is going on around us, I don't know about you, but I, I get this overwhelming sense that there's nothing I could do or say that will ever be enough. You, you wear something and it shows off your compassion, but you don't wear something and it doesn't show off your compassion. But yet I'm compassionate because I care for people, but my compassion is never enough because I'm not doing a certain thing. You say certain things and people think you should have said something different. Um, you can't even hardly make a joke anymore in our world without people getting offended at the joke and telling you that that joke never should have been stated when it was just a joke and it may not even been off color and nothing is ever sensitive enough. Nothing is ever compassionate enough. Nothing is ever, um, um, informed enough. I mean, you go through the list of it. Now, the crazy thing is this not enough syndrome that we live in is not new. It's just repackaged. I mean, in school, think about it. You, you lived underneath this not enough syndrome your entire time through school. You weren't cool enough. You weren't popular enough. You weren't smart enough. Your grades weren't good enough. In sports, you weren't fast enough, big enough. You didn't work hard enough. In the arts, you're not talented enough. You're not creative enough. You're not progressive enough. In the world, it's never, it's never enough. I mean, we, we can never say things correctly enough. I mean, you're constantly trying to frame everything that you say so as not to offend any little fringe group that may be out there. And if you do offend them, then you, what you said must be wrong. We can't stand up enough. There's nothing that is ever equal enough. I mean, good grief. Think about that one. Nothing's caring enough. Nothing's sensitive enough. And as we grow in this culture, it leaves us as adults with constant comparisons. We're never rich enough. Our home is never big enough. The vacation was never fun enough. We're not well-known enough. We haven't made enough of an influence. And in the church, you'd think it'd get better. Actually, it's worse. Because you walk in the doors of the church, and the first thing they want to give you is to give you a bunch of law. You need to be a better parent. You need to be more evangelistic. You need to be standing up for more social justice issues. You're not disciplined enough. You don't read your Bible enough. You're not prayerful enough. You're not spiritual enough. And the list could go on, but I think you get the point. And you feel it right where you're sitting. What makes you feel like you don't measure up? It could be a subtle little comment from one of your kids about, hey, dad, remember you promised you'd do this and you didn't. And you go, yeah, I'm the jerk dad that didn't fulfill the promise of my kid. What pressures do you feel that make you think you're not good enough? It's everywhere. We all feel it. Somebody could give you a different point of view and you immediately assume that there's an attack being made when they're just giving you a different point of view and you feel like you don't measure up. That's why this morning it's intriguing. I picked this text about four months ago (laughs) to preach today on this particular text. And I think it's why it's one. It's one of my favorites. Because in this text, I need it just like you do. This text shows us the futile way that your world outside these walls is trying to cope with the not enough syndrome. And it's going to show us the only solution for that problem. And here's what we're going to see. If you're new with us, you should have got a bulletin when you walked in the door. There's an outline and there's a big idea. And here's the big idea. Only Jesus Christ is enough. We're going to see that the basic standards of this world, through performance, duty, and discipline, never make us good enough. Matter of fact, they leave us in bondage. And we're going to see that trusting, loving, and clinging to Jesus helps us get off this hamster wheel of the not enough syndrome and actually frees us to make decisions and do life without having that thing hanging on us that we all feel. So let's stand together. Let's read Colossians 2, 16 through 23. I'll read it. You can follow along. And then we're going to pray. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Let no one disqualify you insisting on asceticism and referring to things that all perish as they are used according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Let's pray. Father, we, we pray and I pray this morning that you would take what is said here and just apply it to our hearts where you see fit. You are, the, you are the best pastor of your people. And I thank you, Lord, that you love your people so much that you will take your word and it will never return empty. It will always accomplish what you have set it out to do. And this morning, would you just help us to see that Jesus only is enough? And all this other stuff is just repackaged man made religion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. you. May be seated. Now let's start by looking at point number one there, which is the problem with shadows. In this town or this area called Colossae, which is where the Apostle Paul wrote this letter, there was a small band of Christians who were serving Jesus together. And their happy beginnings as a Christian church were interrupted by religious experts who came to town and gave them some crazy news. And the news was this, believing in Jesus wasn't enough to be spiritually mature, it wasn't enough to have deep spiritual experiences, and it wasn't enough to get them to eternal life. Basically, the idea was like this. If you really want to fill out or round out your spiritual life, then you must avoid certain dietary things like food or drink. You must keep certain holidays. You you must pray to angels and to the other gods, little g Learn to live by visions and dreams and prophetic utterances, and you need to deny yourself anything that was a worldly pleasure. When you add these things to your belief in Jesus, it will finally be enough, and you will have finally arrived. Now you can imagine the confusion this brought to these new Christians in Colossae who were taught that Jesus alone was enough. That's why Paul in this chapter, on three different occasions, gave a warning. In verse 8, he said, see to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. In verse 16, he said, let no one pass judgment on you. In verse 18, he wrote, let no one disqualify you. These new Christians were feeling the pressure of the world around them that their faith in Jesus wasn't enough, wasn't good enough they didn't do what the spiritual experts prescribe, they felt judged and they felt disqualified. Where's the question? You ever felt that way? I felt that way the moment I drove back into Oregon from Idaho. Signs everywhere telling me how I must live my life. Didn't find that anywhere back east. It was actually kind of freeing that I could go live life and not worry about billboard signs. You feel this everywhere. The choices you make offend people. The statements you make bother somebody. And everywhere you turn, there's this worldly narrative that to arrive or to look a certain way, you must do exactly what's been prescribed by the rest of the world. And the sad thing is, is we're going to see that is the not enough syndrome alive in our world. And what it does to you is it straps you, it burdens you. It gives you false guilt, and you feel it everywhere you turn. Now, what's intriguing about this text is that Paul actually says, well, let's ask a question. How do these spiritual experts deal with this guilt that's rising up within us? What do they do? What do they say? How How do they wrestle this out? Well, notice what he says about how the experts dealt with the not good enough syndrome. Verse 16, he says, they bring up questions about food, drink, or a Sabbath, or a festival, or a new moon. In other words, one way to ensure that you'll measure up to be truly spiritual is to abstain from certain things. Could be food, drink, to recognize certain days of the week is more important than other days, and to celebrate holidays. Those things don't seem like a big deal unless you put them in the rule of law. Or verse 18, he says... The other thing they do is they insist on asceticism, worship of angels, and going on in detail about visions. Meaning, in order to really spiritually arrive, you have to have some sort of extreme self-discipline and heightened spiritual experiences. If you don't have these, you're really not good enough. You haven't really arrived. And to get a feeling for this extreme self-denial, Paul wrote this in verse 21. That the rules of this new spirituality that was rising up in the first century was this. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. The Colossians spiritual experts did something fascinating. To deal with this underlying false guilt that we all feel, they added more rules. You are obligated to follow their prescriptions in order to have real, true, abundant life. Now, we could, we could add that in the Christian church today. I mean, let's put it in our own Christian vernacular. If you really want to be spiritual, have a fulfilling spiritual life, and be complete, gain a true eternal life, believing in Jesus is a good start. But let's just add a few things. You know, you've you got to abstain from dancing. Don't listen to secular music. And, and watch what you eat or you drink. Certainly no eating of pork, which will rule out all of our men's breakfasts, by the way, which will be a really bad deal. Right? You must attend church every Sunday. There's no reason to ever miss a particular Sunday. And then what you do on Monday through Saturday better have something involving some sort of Christian social justice attached to it or else you really have not arrived. And make sure that you celebrate Easter and Christmas on the exact days they were in the historical calendar. Otherwise, you're living underneath the false world around you that was in the world of Babylon or some other mystical medieval place that people want to name. And this one goes on in our community, actually. Go find a church that might have a portal from heaven where you can actually hear angels talk to you. Begin to live by spiritual dreams and prophetic utterances because the word of God is not enough. Anything else in their minds would leave you spiritually wanting. Now what's intriguing about all those things in the Christian church, you'll notice is in order to deal with this this guilt we have of not being enough, nothing ever being good enough, we just add more rules to it. What's fascinating is, That's the very worldly philosophy that Paul is addressing in Colossians chapter 2. It's the same way our world deals with the not enough syndrome. Add more rules. If you want to look compassionate, do this, wear that. If you want to look like you've arrived, then speak on certain topics, but don't speak on anything where anybody might disagree with your opinion. If you want to be truly somebody, Be concerned about this lifestyle, but don't be concerned about this lifestyle. And don't think differently than the rest of the culture. If you do, there's a variety of names that we have for you. It's always in the worldly system of doing things, submitting to the latest rule, the latest craze, and the latest issue in order to feel like we're good enough. What's fascinating is, That's exactly what Paul was dealing with in the first century, telling us that there there is nothing new here. It's just a repackaged cultural narrative, and sadly, in the Christian narrative, the Christian church has done the same thing. To deal with the not enough syndrome that we all feel we must perform a certain way, discipline ourselves a certain way, say certain things in a certain way, do certain things, and then refrain from certain things. That's how Paul said they dealt with it. This is their prescription. Add more rules, go do more things. And then define your your spirituality by how well you did on these issues. Well, Paul then says, well, what's the the fruit of this? Where does this lead? Where does it go? Well, notice the end of verse 23. He says, it looks the part. It looks like wisdom. But it is of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. (laughs) In other words, Paul says, this type of living, living under the obligation to certain man-made rules, leaves us frustrated by our own sinful passions, controlled by our own sinful impulses, and does nothing to get rid of the not-enough syndrome. What's fascinating is, just do a cultural experiment here with me for a moment, go back to the summer of 2020. And The cultural narrative was... Everybody post on your page a black sign that says Black Lives Matter with the BLM stuff and begin to emphasize one race over another race and begin to ask yourself a question. Where did that get us with eradicating racism in our world? The reason for that is because it's shadowy. It lacks the substance that is found in Christ. It says this, everybody is made in the image of God. And God made us with different races and colors and tribes and tongues and languages to reveal something of the great wonder and mystery that's in the Godhead. And the only way we can be truly reconciled to one another and have true racial reconciliation is found in Revelation chapter 7 at the throne of the risen Christ where we are all worshiping before him one day. But the cultural narrative is, emphasize this or do this in order to look like you care. And then if you say anything like I just said a moment ago, you're seen as uncaring. And far from freeing us, what does it actually do? It imprisons us. And you know, you know the exact feeling I'm talking about, about adding more rules to your life. I mean, it happens every year, January 1, you've got a brand new Bible reading plan. Some of you do. And by January 14, you're seven days behind. How do you feel in that moment? Right? Well, for me, listen, I go on vacation. I gained eight pounds on vacation. Eight pounds. There's a place called the Big Hole Barbecue in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, that I stuck in my big hole, and I just kept eating. Right? I mean, and I'm telling you what, it was Eight pounds. <laughs> And on the way home, it's like, all right, get back, discipline. And then by Wednesday night, I'm like, anybody craving chili dogs? (laughs) I mean, I need some chili dogs and I need a bunch of them. Where are the cookies, right? How do you feel in that moment? You know what I'm talking about, right? Thanksgiving comes, December 5, after your eating plan, how do you feel? Paul's point in the text is that his point isn't, that discipline is unnecessary. His point is, listen clearly, discipline and new rules are not enough to change us. Friends, you and I both know, and this is going to step on a few cultural toes here, we can do every possible thing we can to stop COVID-19 and it will never stop. Stop. I have friends in Australia right now, and they are being told the goal is eradicated. But putting that in a spiritual metaphor, you cannot deal with the sin of man by adding new rules. You deal with the sin of man by having a savior. What Paul's point in Colossians 2 is the facade of arriving The facade of trying to be good enough through submission to man made rules does not make us more righteous, godly, or prepared for eternal life. The facade of being good enough actually imprisons us, it enslaves us. Now, when I look at a text like this, I ask questions of myself because I want to know how can I, why is it I give in to this narrative? Why is it this false teaching of not being good enough and following these levels of rules and doing all these variety of things? Why do I do that so often? And that's the next point I want you to look at. It's it's weak spots. What are places that we are potentially vulnerable to this type of teaching? In his commentary, Richard Lucas gives several reasons. I'm going to use four of his reasons. They're so good that I don't want to miss what he stated here. And the first one you're going to notice, the first vulnerable weak spot is our own pride. You'll actually notice it at the end of verse 18 when Paul is talking about the super spirituality of the false teachers, and he says they were puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. This is really why we love self-made religion. And to be honest with you, it's why our world loves self-made prestige. It's why we love the story of the underdog who became the top dog. We want to know what made that guy get there. And we want to model it. If we can arrive by our own rules in our own strength, then we have something to brag about. We can, if we can work ourselves to a right standing with God, we have something to boast in. And spiritual pride is one of the one reason we're, we're vulnerable to this performance trap. We love to make much of ourselves. If, if you don't, don't believe that, just today for a you know, little you know, experiment, invite somebody new to go to lunch with you. Introduce yourself to them and then begin to listen to the subtitles of the name. Hi, my name is Dave York. Oh, what do you do for a living? I'm the pastor of Covenant Life Fellowship. We're on you know, 1553 Vine Street, we have church services, 830 to 1030. Uh, we have a great church, um, and it's been my pleasure to be there for 17 years. I planted the church in 2003. I'm also a head baseball coach at Uncle Valley Christian School. You know, I know, three state titles, kind of cool, you know. I mean, got a lot of guys in my church that played for me, a lot of families. I mean, subtitles. What are those subtitles for? They're revealing something about us. We're so natural that we do it like breathing, Because why? We love to make much of ourselves. If we, in our minds, can see visions and dream dreams and have prophetic utterances and discipline ourselves, we can finally rid ourselves of the not enough syndrome and show everybody everybody else how much we've arrived. It's a vicious lure because we all want to look like we've kind of arrived. We all want to look caring. Nobody wants to look unkind. Well, some people do, but you know, they'll leave that with those jerks. That want to do that, right? Nobody wants to be this way. We all want to look like we got something to brag about. And pride is the first weak spot. It's the first spot that begins to make us a little vulnerable because we want to brag about something. And those self made rules begin to make it see, there I am this way because I did. The second weak spot of this false teaching is false zeal. We all want to be passionate for God. We want to be seen to be passionate for God. But here's what false zeal does to us. It commands what God does not command, and it demands more than what God demands. This is something Paul is targeting throughout this text, and something he actually targets in much of his writing. False religion passes judgments on other people for things that God has not commanded. And it insists on religious practices that are not prescribed. An example of that would be the Jewish people. They had, they had ten commandments that God gave them, and they made fences around the ten commandments so as not to violate them. So one of the rules about keeping the Sabbath was, you shall not walk farther than 999 steps. Why? They just they did not want to disobey the command, so they built a fence. It's no wonder why a guy years ago made this comment that God has given us ten commandments, but man has given us ten thousand commandments. It's very true. False zeal promises what God has not; it brings imprisonment, it doesn't bring freedom. False zeal claims we can be perfect and freed from our sin by our own self-discipline. False zeal is, it ignores the power of Christ over our sin claiming that we can live our best life now by just quoting some positive mantra or self-improvement statements, false zeal ignores that God actually works through trials. And God actually brings trial in his people as a form of discipline or correction or as a form of shaping the direction of their lives. False zeal produces false spirituality, and it creates frustrated and tired Christians who feel judged, and they feel trapped. It makes us susceptible to false teaching and the whims of the culture all around us because we want to look the part. The third weak spot is dissatisfaction in life, probably next to pride, the one that hit me the hardest. This discontentment causes us to question the simple pattern of the Christian life found in the New Testament. You're aware, aren't you, that the New Testament is not all that... Complex. You believe in Jesus, you give your life to Christ, you love your neighbor, you love God with all your heart, and you go do your job and be a dad, be a husband, be a wife, be a single person, be a good friend. Not that hard. Not that complex. But here's what we do because life is hard, because it's usually mundane. I mean, let's be honest. Life is usually mundane. You're going to get up tomorrow morning. You're going to put your toast in the toaster. You're going to pop it out. You're going to put peanut butter on top of it. You're going to drink your coffee. You're going to read your seven verses in your Bible. Pray for five minutes. You're going to get yourself in your car. You're going to drive to work. You're going to go work for eight to 10 hours or 14 hours. You're going to do your job. Come home. Eat your dinner. You're going to go to bed. and You're going to do it all over again the next day. How exhilarating. And life is this mundane moment over and over and over again. And experiences don't feel deep enough. They don't feel satisfying enough. It's hard to pray, hard to read our Bible, hard to share our faith. And a dissatisfaction with life begins to settle in because we think there should be something more. should be some new level of spirituality that I can find that will help me be different and help life not be so mundane. Everything needs to be adventurous. It must be a more complex, more formulaic, more ritualistic, disciplined way to live life that is more satisfying, more enjoying, more fulfilling than what I'm getting right now. You know what it does to you? It makes you an easy target for false teaching. Because you're in search of the latest, newest, craziest way to be successful and look successful. This is why dissatisfaction in life makes us easy targets. And the fourth week spot is exaggerated spirituality. You, you know this individual. You know the type. I, it's One of my rants that I love to get on, the hashtag blessed individual, right? I mean, everything is blessed, right? Somebody recently, uh, as a joke, bought me a coffee mug that says hashtag blessed on it. So I put it in my office right beside the other plaque that says, I'm kind of a big deal right so that i can any i've told my staff anytime one of you is giving me grief or you are complaining i'm bringing the i'm kind of a big deal plaque and putting it on your desk and reminding you stop complaining right #bless everything is hyper spiritual you know the person they won't say the word hello because hell is in it really had a dude a few weeks ago walk up to shake his hand, said, no, not shaking hands because that's what the Babylonians did when they wagged their hands at one another. I said, dude, just shake my hand. I'm saying hello. I'm trying to be nice. It's just weird. What are we doing? Everything is law. There's very little grace. They believe they must pay no attention to the physical world around us and every bit of attention all the time to the spiritual world. So in their mind, don't taste, don't touch, don't handle are their mantras. They love them. To the exaggerated spiritualist, things like working hard at your job to honor Christ and put food on your table are less than praying all day, reading your Bible all day, and doing missions work on your family vacations. And if you do family vacations for your and mission work on that, good for you. But that's not a command for other families. The spiritualist says it is a command for other families. All the while, the exaggerated spiritualist ignores the regular, routine, normal work of Christ and everyday mundane activities like honoring our spouses, loving our neighbors, cleaning dirty diapers, sweeping the floor, making meals, loving our friends around us, and enjoying life. See, this type of hyper-spirituality makes us a playground for false teaching because everything has to be seen as spiritual. Now, listen, we all want to look like we've arrived. All of us. There's not anybody in the room. I mean, now, listen, the older I get, the more I go, I really don't care what all y'all think, right? I mean, that's just my own skepticism and my own pride. At the same time, we all want to look like we've accomplished something. We all want to look like we've arrived. And we all question whether or not there's really freedom in Christ when we're stumbling over the same sin for the millionth time. All four weak spots are good starting points to ask, where where am I vulnerable to false teaching? Where are you vulnerable to this attitude that says, just add another rule to it? Now, my next question I ask is, how do I protect myself from this? I don't want to go there. And that's our last point, which is shadows versus substance. How do we fight the not enough syndrome in Christ? Let me give you an example of this. How do you battle with the moment you hear the radio ad about what culture is telling you to do? How do you fight the sense of, I can't do that. I don't want to do that. I must not be. How do you fight that? How do you fight the false guilt that's getting thrown on you everywhere you are? How do we fight that? Well, that's this point. We've all seen it. Politician gets up, gives a great speech. People are applauding. The media is in a just tizzy about it. Great style. Zero substance. Nothing given that was helpful. Promises made with no no plans to fulfill. Prophetic declarations given without precise facts on how we're going to get there. Happens all the time. See it everywhere. Well, notice what Paul said in verse 17 about the false teachers and their way of doing life. He said they're shadows. They're shadows. They make promises of fulfillment, but the shadow brings frustration. The shadow brings fear. Several years ago, we have it. When I grew up in, in this church in Dallas, I was a youth pastor there. And we had this corridor that, late at night, the way the light shined, it was creepy, right? I mean, you you could feel like there's somebody in the area. I was at the office by myself late one night. I needed to go to the other part of the building, and I get out to this corridor, and as I go walking out, I could swear there's seven dudes chasing me. I turn around, and it's actually the way the light shining off my body. There's seven different shadows from me. I mean, it was weird. And I was like, okay, it's just me, settle down, walk to the end. I didn't have a gun at the time, so everybody can deal with that one. But I was like, I was out, I mean, I freaked out. That's what shadows do to you. Shadows freak you out thinking something is real when it's not. And notice what Paul says in verse 17 that's very fascinating. Shadows are there. To reveal that there's something that is substantive that you need. The substance belongs to Christ. In other words, you can't get your hand on shadows, but you get your hands around substance. Something that's real. What's fascinating is Paul is saying in Colossians 2 that the ways of the world to teach us to, to overcome the not Enough syndrome by rule obedience actually points us to something. We can't ever be good enough. That's a shadow scaring us. And there's a substance. And his name is Jesus. Their rule obedience is from a bygone era of performance and duty and extreme self-discipline. But Jesus, the substance, he performed perfectly. He did his duty perfectly. He disciplined himself perfectly in your place, in my place, as our champion and as our savior. In other words, listen very clearly, Jesus was good enough before God so you don't have to be. Instead of performing our way to being good enough or being dutiful enough to be good enough or disciplining ourselves to be good enough, we are to love, trust, and cling to Christ because only Jesus is enough. There's only one human in the entire world that ever knew his Bible perfectly. His name is Jesus. There's only one human in the world that ever prayed to God perfectly and did it the moment every time God called him to pray, and his name was Jesus. There's only one who is perfectly compassionate, and his name is Jesus. It's not you, and it's not the cultural narrative that you're going to get outside of these particular walls. So we are we are looking at a substance that we are to trust and cling to and believe in with all of our hearts so that when the not good enough syndrome comes knocking on our door, we say, hey, sorry, man, I can make a decision one way or the other because Christ is good enough. This decision does not do anything to add to my identity or my value before God. And notice how Paul shows us this in the text. In verse 19, he talks about these false teachers, and he said, they did not hold fast to Christ. He calls Jesus the head, meaning Jesus is the only one who gives the life, the energy, the power to his body. And these false teachers left Christ, did not cling to this life-giving power, meaning they might have made a profession of faith where they... Said they believe in Jesus, but they didn't have possession of faith that clung to Christ. And they just started adding rules. Adding performance, adding duty, adding extreme self-discipline to their faith in Christ. And the point of verse 19 is this. If they would have clung to Christ, they wouldn't have gone astray down this way of false teaching and false thinking. Which gives me real pause. Because, friends, everywhere you're being spoken to by your world, it's speaking to you. And the moment that false guilt or guilt begins to drop into your heart, you better be clinging to Christ. You better be clinging to what he has done and what he's accomplished for you, or else you'll begin to fall prey to these areas of thinking you have to, you must do, because that will make you look a certain way. No, no, no. There there is somebody before God right now on your behalf, and his name is Jesus. Only Jesus is truly good enough. No number of man-made laws will ever measure up to Christ. So Christian, listen, save yourself some grief and save yourself some condemnation. Cling to Christ. Cling to Christ. It's it's not through your educational choices or your health choices or your your self-made success or your social media presence that will set you free from the bondage of the not enough syndrome. Only Jesus will. He says in verse 2 or verse 20 that if we're in Christ as well, we've died to these things. We've died to this elemental spirit of the world. What is this elemental spirit? Because he mentions it twice. This elemental spirit of the world is the most basic way the world operates. You know how the world operates? The most basic way it operates. It operates under control, and it operates under obey our rules or else. Are you hearing that anywhere? The most basic way to overcome the not good enough syndrome in the world's eyes is add more rules. Have greater spiritual experiences outside of Christ, and we begin to make it really complicated. I mean, we see in our our first parents, Adam and Eve, the moment they sinned against God, what did they go do? They hid and they worked themselves fig leaves and hid themselves. Trying to cover their sin by their own work, their own performance. And what have we done ever since? The way humans try to save themselves is through hiding behind our hard work. That's why, listen, right now in your world, the moment somebody asks you, Hey man, how you doing? Boy, our first words out of our mouth are "Oh, crazy busy. It is just bananas out there. You're not going to believe how busy we are. I mean, our calendar is just absolutely slam full. I cannot believe how crazy we're swamped. (laughs) Why do we say that? Some it's true. But we also want to put our hard work on display right at the outset. Why? It's just our modern fig leaves. It's also why when you look at social media, which I don't recommend to do, but go look at a news feed and social media and just follow the stories. What do you, what do you see there? You see great vacation. Look at this dinner with me and my spouse; is so awesome. Campbell lit, and all. you know, look at my children being so obedient, wonderful, sitting around the table. Some dude doing this brand new video of this awesome table he's building, and I'm like, golly, that looks. Amazing! I wish I had like some time to do that or to learn. I wish I could read a tape measure. Right? I mean, that's because on my brain, right? <laughs> I, right. I mean, all the latest deals that we do, no, nobody, nobody says, hey, we're gonna put post a video right here. Um, my wife and I are having a serious fight. We're just gonna put it on video. <laughs> show for all y'all, take a look at. Why do we not do that? We want to show we've arrived. That's why, listen, if, if, if the vacation is in a spot we don't think is cool enough, we won't post it. But if it's in a really cool spot, oh, it's going up. All oh, y'all going to find out, right? Modern day fig leaves of hard work. I mean, or, or the latest is our latest social justice thing that we're fighting for. Modern day fig leaves of hard work, compassion, social sensitivity. Well, here's a question. What does Christ do for us that frees us from this? He actually says in the text if we're in Christ, we've died to that. Meaning this, we believe that Jesus performed so perfectly before God for us that we don't have to perform in front of others to make them think a certain way about us. We're free. We're the most free people on earth. When he died on the cross, he perfectly obeyed God for us. He went to the grave and he took the power and penalty of our sin with him. And he took the elemental spirit and way of the world to deal with a not good enough syndrome to the grave with him. When he rose again from the dead and we believed in him, we're raised to be lived to live in a brand new way with him by his power, and we're no longer under the authority, the domination of the elemental spirit of the world. We're no longer under the authority of the not enough syndrome. You're under a brand new power, and his name is Jesus. This is why Paul would question us, ever submitting ourselves again to do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? If you died with Christ to the most basic way this world does life, why would you ever submit yourself again to the most basic way this world does life? That's what he's getting at. And the last thing in the text is this, that only in Christ is true life and true life found. Remember, verse 23 told us the effect of living by the way the world does business. There's no value. It can't stop the indulgence of the flesh. But notice what he says in verse 19. That in Christ, the head, the whole body is nourished, knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. Do you see this, the only way for growth, for change, for maturity, for development, for stopping the indulgence of the flesh is Christ. Richard Lucas put it like this. The law of God's growth for the congregation at Colossae, or we could say the congregation in Roseburg, Oregon, may be expressed in the simplest terms like this. All nourishment comes from Christ the head and is dispensed to and available for every sinew, every ligament. The local church can, only, can grow only as each member or part holds fast to the head. Thus, every part receives from Christ the strength and the life it supplies to the whole. See, listen, because Jesus is a life-giving head to the body, because his life, death, and resurrection freed us from the not-enough syndrome, and because all growth comes from Christ, listen, as a church, let's not lose this beautiful simplicity found in trusting Jesus. Let's not let it get caught up in vaccines and masks and mandates and laws and stuff. Let, let's, let's be found clinging to Christ and clinging to Christ together. See, this is not about a loyalty to a cause or a political party. It's not about devotion to it. it it's not about performing to be good enough. It's about devotion to a savior, to a king, to a kingdom. It's about, it's about disciplining ourselves because Christ has already gone before us. Not so that Christ would go before us. Let's, let's be a church that just clings to Christ. And what's going to happen? You'll look back over time. And you'll look back at your life after all the years. And you'll marvel at the growth that God has brought. You'll marvel at the fruit. You'll marvel at the contentment. You'll marvel at... The maturity. You'll marvel at the way he's worked in and through you, and here's what will be the end result. Christ alone will get all the glory. Man-made religion wants nothing more than to get us to submit so they can brag. God-centered religion wants us to give our lives to Christ so that we alone can brag only in the name of Christ. Let's pray. Father, we we need a word like this to us today because we we need to be reminded that you not only love us and care for us because you sent Jesus. But Lord, you have. You have done things in such a way that our boast is only in Christ. Would you help us to see the weak spots of vulnerability toward this type of false teaching? And would you give us wisdom as we navigate through this age of man-made religion? Help us. And Jesus, thank you that you <clears throat> you love your people more than any pastor ever would. So shepherd your people, care for your people, strengthen your people. And thank you that your word never returns void. It always accomplishes what you sent it out to do. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. This sermon has been proudly given in response to cherishing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Be sure to check out our YouTube channel and subscribe to watch all our sermons online. For more information about Covenant Life Fellowship, visit us on the web at www.clfroseburg.com.